big news catch up we got to get to here with Danny. He's going to join me momentarily here. Actually, he already has joined me, but he's just listening on mute right now. Don't say hello, Danny, or say hello. It doesn't matter because you're on mute. Anyway, uh, we're sponsored today by blinds.com. Excited to go back to their site with this new house that I just got, or at least uh, I'm in contract on. And also our friends at Movement Watches, two longtime sponsors of the show. Tons of news to get to. This Joel Embiid news just came down today. Injury news as well. And then we're going to bring in Albert Namad to do the Miami Heat preview later on. But first, let's bring in Danny right now. What's going on? Doing well. How are you? I am pretty good as well. I when I was just got back from the gym, saw this Joel Embiid news. Wanted to catch up on that. And why don't we start there? Because we don't know the full particulars yet. We have to imagine that it's not fully guaranteed. Zach Lowe has described it as one of the most complex contracts in NBA history. You have to imagine there are all kinds of triggers for when it is guaranteed but it is a full max deal five years 148 million we also don't know whether if he were to make all nba this year it would bump up to the 30 percent max either all of those details not yet known but we'll assume that he will be making the max for next year and that would leave the sixers now there are a couple of scenarios but as it stands at the moment I project them to have about 25 million in space. Now, that does not include what is almost certain to be a renegotiation and extension contract for Robert Covington that would likely play, pay him around 12 million a year. If that happens, now they're down to really about 15 million in space, but they could also just decline the rookie option of or trade Jill Okafor. That would get them up to 21 million. And that's also assuming that they have that first from the Lakers. It doesn't fall into the two to five range. If it does, that would uh, open up a lot more space there, uh, maybe around $4 million or so. And they have their own first-round pick as well, uh, which I project at number 10. That number will go down. And they also have uh, Anjash Pachniks, their number 25 pick from a year ago. Unclear exactly when he will come over also. But uh, preliminarily, I mean, let's, you know, we'll assume it's going to be something like, you know, the first two years are guaranteed, and then maybe the next year is half guaranteed, and then it's, you know, unguaranteed the last couple of years, but it triggers with games played or something like that you know i think that's what i'm guessing is probably will be the the structure if that is indeed the case what do you think of it it's hard to wrap your head around just because it's so uncommon. I mean, even like Harden's deal, his his extension had his previous, the one, the first one he signed with the Rockets had a, a half guaranteed final season. But even that you kind of thought it was going to, it was going to vest and it did, of course. So this is very different. And people have asked me like, oh, why would the Sixers do this? And the answer to why the Sixers would do this is because they, it seems like they probably got some sort of protection on the final years. And it's very possible that an Embiid offer sheet would not have had this kind of protection so that's really what they were getting at and also the idea of this being a five-year contract is that the hope is that it'll work out you know in their in their standpoint and also that they will have if you know if he does really well they'll have the ability to use the designated veteran extension at that point on the later end of this contract so I get it from from their standpoint to a degree obviously we have to wait for all the details to get in and from a bead standpoint you lock in that money now you played 31 NBA games seems like he's pretty happy with the Sixers 
the risk was untenable with him. So it's an absolute from his perspective. Yeah, and we'll see. Maybe even only the first year is fully guaranteed, but you have to imagine at least a couple of them would be. And the advantage from the Sixers side, they're punting on about $7 million in cap space for next summer. Uh, this is not a, great for teams that wanted to use the Sixers as potential leverage. I would say the odds are they probably will not have max space now next summer. Uh, so that's not great news for just free agents in general who are hoping to get like real big max contracts uh and then i think you could have done it one of two ways right like the advantage of doing it now is they get all these non-guarantees on the back end they're protected from that right on the other hand if you had waited you would have a better idea of whether he had stayed fully healthy this year that injury risk wouldn't be gone but if he had played 60 games this year and played at the same level that he had then you know it's a no-brainer as you mentioned like any offer sheet he got would be fully guaranteed any negotiations would probably deal with a fully guaranteed contract so the team is protected from the absolute worst case downside scenario and you have to imagine too that maybe something along the lines of you know less on a per year basis but more fully guaranteed was discussed as well that type of a contract would have more upside from the Sixers and you know spreading the guarantee out over more years but giving him more of a guarantee uh that could have had more upside for them but also more downside risk because you know you could be paying him five years from now and this is a team that if he suffers some sort of a career ending injury it would still has a lot of young players who are going to be good and hopefully will be a, a playoff team even in, in that time period so i think this makes sense overall and b gets to say he's a max player as well i think that's important obviously to most of these players and so assuming that the structure is around what we're talking about here it seems like a pretty fair deal to me for both sides is that your assessment also yeah I, at this point and of course there's more that we need to know and i was thinking earlier today i was talking with some wolves writers about the potential of a wiggins extension and what I was the point I was making to them is that I think people need to be a little bit less scared of the three plus one in the new CBA because of the idea that extensions are not broken for the best of those players. Yeah, there is still a risk, you know, like with Gordon Hayward that the players are going to leave. It, it certainly can happen, but it's a little bit easier to retain them now. So in those best case scenario, like best case scenarios that for Embiid's performance this year, that they would have been able to make it work. But you know, that's that's a year away. That's a lot of other th- other factors in place. So the Sixers, like yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you, I like that you did the lead-in with their cap space because I still think they can get to the place where they can add a high quality two if that's really where they want to go. And it's also true that a lot of those guys in the Avery Bradley, you know, Danny Green strata probably aren't going to be getting full max contracts. They're going to be getting a lot of money, but they might not be getting full max. And so if they're in the point where they need to move Jaleel Okafor or something like that, I think they absolutely can. They could stretch that final year of Jared Bayless's contract. So they're in that flexibility point where they can make it work but they don't they don't have to and that's a that's a pretty good place to be i i am sympathetic to your idea that you know that they they are kind of putting a lot of risk on this because Embiid's going to get a lot of money now basically through the time that probably definitely that simmons is going to get probably get get to get his money or get his pay pay grant and then maybe into folds depending on the structure of the guarantees so this is a risk for the sixers but broadly speaking i mean let's talk a little bit about how good joel Embiid was in those 31 games 
games he played because he was oh yeah awfully I mean it's well right exactly right because I mean that's the fact that we're waiting to discuss like hey if he's healthy is he actually worth this I think that's pretty clear to me and, and Bobby Marks actually made an interesting point which is he's now the third highest paid center in the league already now part of that is because you know DeMarcus Cousins uh even like an Anthony Davis you know just the cap has gone up quite a bit but also there are not many centers who are getting just straight up max contracts anymore at least necessarily deserving them um you know I guess DeAndre Jordan Hassan Whiteside fall into that category as as well so part of that is just due to the fact that the cap has gone up enough that he'll be higher paid but it's yeah he was one of the best defensive players in the NBA maybe he doesn't shoot it quite as well from three but I think he'll grow more efficient as well got to the foul line just a titanic amount uh he may I think he can be more efficient turn it over less now they actually will have more threats around him and that they're not like oh man he can only play 25 minutes we got to throw it to him every single time um but yeah it's uh I think this will work out okay and they probably I mean you'd have to imagine there's nothing in the contract that's like just purely non-guaranteed right if he if he plays the games you have to imagine and plays at some base rate like it will end up guaranteeing and I'm glad for Embiid that that he got his money when it's been such a difficult career for him and we'll see I mean this is a risk worth taking for Philadelphia and they at least protect the franchise from the absolute worst case outcomes all right we got much more news to get here but first this from our friends at blinds.com i'm really excited now to go back to blinds.com i have this very small rental property that only had really two windows and my tenant and i picked something out that really worked for her from blinds.com i had a buddy in the boston area who who used and was really happy got his wife some blackout curtains she's sleeping a lot better but we're here in this rental where we have some really bad blinds by the way and and now we're really fired up to use blinds.com on this new place which by the way thank you all for listening because uh if it weren't for that i wouldn't be have this new place that i could put blinds.com on uh so the way it works at blinds.com they offer a free online design consultation if you need help getting started i consulted with danielle i'm about to do that again you can send in pictures of your home you get custom professional recommendations in return they'll send free samples make sure everything looks just as good in person shipping is free and if you mismeasure or you pick the wrong color blinds.com will remake your blinds for free so there's no excuse to leave up those ugly looking blinds from the wire any longer for a limited time of course you can get 20 percent off everything at blinds.com when you use promo code capspace don't forget about that code let's know that you came from us and also gets you the 20 percent off blinds.com promo code capspace gets you 20 percent off everything once again blinds.com promo code capspace rules and restrictions apply uh where do you want to go next here danny oh uh, let's talk quickly about norman powell so powell got the what we're calling the josh richard in four years 42 million and like Josh Richardson it looks like it has a player option in the final year and that's a reasonable another one of those like reasonable risks for both sides thank you to having a, a slightly not broken extension system yeah that's great and I think you could make the argument that Powell had more of a pedigree than Richardson we discussed him on that podcast we did I think it was only a week ago if you want to go back and listen to that some of our veteran extension candidates really why we thought that this might be a good deal for both sides it, it, I think we knew that Toronto was going to offer him this. It was just a question whether he was going to take it. And uh, he certainly did. And I think it's the psychological effect of, hey, this is the most we can offer you. Uh, you know, that was something where when it was a max player and you couldn't offer in the max or you couldn't offer in the max number of years, that was one thing. But for four years and nobody having a great idea exactly of what some of these young players value is yet, it works out well. And Paul, he could be a guy who could be tradable on that contract. He 
is probably going to play a lot of three for them this year he can guard most threes uh in the eastern conference or probably other than lebron and Giannis. and he's hitting his three-point shot so i think it's a solid deal maybe not a great one for the raptors but one that they really had to do especially to lock in cost certainty for him and for him getting above the mid-level that was really i think the trigger point for a lot of these guys if you can't guarantee that there's going to be a team with cap space above the mid-level and someone's offering you the mid-level above the mid-level for four years probably want to take it uh what's next here Nicola Batum, he has an issue with the ulnar collateral lig- ligament. I don't know, is it a full tear? I think it is a full tear. In, in his elbow, he's going to be out 8 to 12 weeks. That is distinctly not great. One of the ongoing questions in the Eastern Conference is going to be like, can these teams that deal with setbacks hold on basically to a playoff spot? I My current instinct, I haven't gone through it all the way, is that the Hornets have a good shot of that. But it does put stressors on them because remember, the guys who are most likely to come into this lineup are Jeremy Lamb who Steve Clifford absolutely does not trust and outside outside chance Malik Monk who is a rookie yeah Batum that UCL injury is like the Tommy John injury which you see pitchers get it's on the inside of the elbow he is actually in Dallas today got a second opinion we don't know the result of that yet uh eight to 12 weeks he said it won't be longer than three months um and it's unclear or not whether in fact he will need surgery it is his left elbow which certainly helps that it's not his shooting elbow he might be limited trying to finish with his left hand around the basket even when he returns but for right now I mean, you mentioned it's Malik Monk time it's Jeremy Lamb time MKG is gonna have to play a lot more I mean uh, I think their offense could really struggle Batum was the only other guy who was any kind of a proven playmaker on this team with their issues with the tax they are very limited if they wanted to try and add talent by trading a future pick so it's difficult to see where the scoring is going to come from with the Hornets but I think the hope will be I mean if they just have an an elite defense this year it almost doesn't matter how well they score they'll still be in the playoff picture in the East that's a fair point and as is always the case in these it puts more stress on the other guys in their lineups to stay healthy and that becomes relevant also for Dallas Dallas is dealing with Seth Curry having a stress reaction in his left tibia we do not have a timetable for that at this point and there are a couple different ideas of where they could go I mean one of the most logical is that they had considered Nerlens Noel there but they could kind of keep the same mo and go with yogi farrell instead yeah although curry has a lot more size than farrell that's going to make dennis smith have to guard shooting guards a, a lot of the time and and yeah you mentioned the structure of the starting lineup was they're going to go a little smaller dirk would start at center he'd come in or noel would come in for him they would give harrison barnes most of his minutes at the four now pretty clearly if they want to play their five best players you would really have to move everyone down a position play noel and dirk together dirk playing with a less mobile center but still a center in Andrew Bogut last year really worked pretty terribly so maybe it's could be Devin Harris. Farrell is the other guy who has some pedigree there. Maybe they'd move Wes Matthews to the two. Dorian Finney-Smith, maybe he sneaks in. You know, that's maybe not so great either. Maybe they could start Dwight Powell, put Harrison Barnes at the three, but none of those are great. And they this is a team that needs a little more offensive punch. Curry was going to provide that. And him being out now, I mean, this sounds like a similar injury to what Bradley Beal had years ago in Washington, the, the recurring tibial stress reaction. And, you know, he would miss a month or two 
with that sometimes so the fact that it's indefinite i think you know that's probably going to be the type of timetable we're looking at if i just had to guess right now going to cleveland jason lloyd reported today for, for the athletic reported that cleveland is planning to start love at center and then the reporting came out today from Ty Lue reporting he said it that Dwayne Wade is their starting two guards so that at least their lineup at the beginning of the year is going to be Derek Rose Dwayne Wade LeBron James Jay Crowder and Kevin Love as the starting five yeah and now this casts a little more light on Lue's decision that Kevin Love is going to be the starter and, and if you want to hear some more about this uh, Chris Fedor was on from cleveland.com we talked about the Cavs obviously for an hour or so it got into this whole issue but if you're going to play Wade and Rose together that means you almost certainly have to have Kevin Love at center if you tried to play Tristan Thompson with those guys it really would be a disaster this also means though that with all of these playmakers in the starting lineup who don't really shoot threes although Rose's jumper has looked a little bit better this preseason that and he's been a little bit better as a catch and shoot guy when he can shoot threes off a set shot instead of having to go a jumper off the dribble but Love is probably really going to get very few chances to run things right now like he's going to be nearly a pure spot-up option especially because they don't have the most imaginative side to side everyone touches the ball type of offense in Cleveland at least to this point uh but I think I probably would have rather had J.R. Smith as the starter I think that would be better bring Wade off the bench but or, or Rose off the bench and maybe you could have J.R. guard point guards and throw Wade on on whoever the least threatening opponent guard is but given Wade's pedigree the fact that they got him to come there to begin with and remember they that was probably something that's very important to them right you and I don't see Dwayne Wade the same way that the rest of the league or that Cleveland does getting him to come there for the minimum and come there giving up basically six million dollars for this season all that seems to indicate that they at least promised him you had a pretty damn good chance to start and now what happened I think when Isaiah comes back him starting will be make a little more sense but again you're running into the idea that Dwayne Wade is no longer an efficient player can he be an efficient player now on this team or is he going to continue to just take shots and have a 51 percent true shooting percentage when everyone else on the team is more efficient you brought up the idea that he's he fits in better with Isaiah. I think that he could, but it depends on how he approaches it himself because Isaiah is a very efficient, effective offensive player. And also Wade and Isaiah together is not exactly the defensive force. If, if Wade continues to, I think he'll be okay in the playoffs. You know, he'll bring the energy at that point. But, it, you know, it's something to watch. And something that I, there are two things that I want to keep an eye on about this. One is Cleveland's second unit offense because they now have a lot of their best playmakers on the starting, on the starting five. And they could do a stagger. They could do some other stuff. And the second thing is their help defense, because having Jay Crowder and LeBron out there at the three and the four is going to, you know, it'll help on those guys. But now when somebody gets through the first line of defense, you're going to have Kevin Love there. Maybe you'll have Jay and LeBron there at certain points. That's not nearly the same as having Tristan Thompson. Let's go back to Philly here, where Rashawn Holmes has a non-displaced fracture in the radial bone of his left wrist. He will be reevaluated in approximately three weeks. So you have to imagine it's probably about a month for him being out he was in competition with Amir Johnson to start at backup center this might give Jalil Okafor another shot or two I saw Okafor in preseason against the Celtics on Friday he looked awful I mean he actually looks to be in better shape he's trying slightly harder defensively but even when he tries he doesn't really quite know what to do and 
look to have lost some confidence offensively i mean it's good to at least see him looking healthy and spry out there but i wanted to actually mention this in the Embiid discussion we're coming up now october 31st is the deadline for philly okafor do six million next year do you think if they can't trade him which seems unlikely that they would simply just decline that that option they could especially considering they have Rashawn holmes for another year yeah he would be an unrestricted free agent at that point but they have Rashawn holmes and joel Embiid right now they're yeah, making Hol- the play. Holmes by the way Holmes by the way uh two two years down in that four-year minimum contract hinky special that he signed so he's uh, the same thing as Jokic the same thing as Chandler Parsons where he's got one more year here and then he's got the team option uh to at the minimum for his fourth year that could either make him a restricted free agent if it's declined or unrestricted at the end of that four years just so everyone understands that right so so that we'll, we'll keep an eye on that I think it's certainly a possibility but I also would hope that if that's coming to the four that another team would step up like we've talked about that the Spurs would have been a logical place for it and just say hey we'll take him at that price just just as a flyer I mean come on it's not that much especially look at all the teams now that aren't going to have cap space this summer they can just go to one of those teams and say hey let's let's make this happen yeah Phoenix might be another team that Phoenix actually has space right now as well that they could use with Alan Williams out maybe he could get into the mix there let him compete with Alex Len you know some teams take a shot at him I mean, the Chicago guy should take a average. shot at him, even though they have a million centers, just because it's a value proposition. Yeah, and I mean, we're definitely down on Okafor, and justifiably so. But the guy did, as a rookie, average 17 a game, and he was efficient. You know, I mean, and now he did also have the worst net rating of any player in the league last year, um, which is not good. But he wasn't playing healthy, and I think certainly the fact that the organization he's been bypassed in the organization here has not helped his development by any means. So he's he's a good second draft guy as john hollinger would say here but you know i think there is a reasonable chance that they actually just decline that option uh certainly no chance he would ever re-sign there you know so it's, it's, you don't have the same thing as you would with uh maybe some of these other guys that you would do there um like the hazonia hypothetical that we talked about um yes, let, let, yes. Let, let's do an injury let's do an injury lightning round quickly cameron oliver has a broken hand he has a partial guarantee for the rockets can be reevaluated in four to, that was four to six weeks when it happened it might be three to five now sheldon Mack sad had a has a torn achilles he's going to have surgery i think tuesday he's going to be out for a long time my expectation is that washington is going to trade his contract because now they have to pay him they're going to trade him to a team who will then basically cut him so they'll attach money on it to save the luxury tax bill on it but you know they, that they would still be able to bring him back next season they couldn't bring him back this year but really sad for him yeah well, and uh just to add add in there as well that for mac good to see at least he's going to get paid he was going to make the team though pretty likely i was very impressed by what he did in summer league i thought he's a quality defensive player looked good coming out of miami changed his name from mcclellan to mac which was cool we're talking about sheldon mac not shelvin mac of course uh the point guard for the magic um let's see what else do we have here uh, Her- oh Harry chris Gile- dunn yeah oh yeah. yeah yeah chris dunn will meet will miss at least two weeks after a uh dislocation of a finger and that actually broke through the skin so that's pretty disgusting and uh so he right now it looks like jerry and grant has for the time being won that point guard competition also played better than done in the preseason until then uh what else we got here not surprisingly harry giles is going to be out until at least january to get his knees stronger mark stein of the new york times reported that i'm excited to say that for the first time yeah it, i think they actually announced it so he, he might have been the first to tweet it but they yeah but they just announced i'm, I'm it. giving and, i'm giving it's the first time i get to give signy mo credit so i'm, I'm doing that oh good 
good yeah the morris twins um and, and for giles yeah. uh, quickly here i mean you said it wasn't a surprise and i felt that way after he didn't play in summer league and we haven't seen him at all in preseason but this wasn't necessarily supposed to be the deal like i mean he played at duke last year he hasn't acutely suffered an injury since then he was working out in the workout process so this wasn't i, I didn't get the idea that this is like fate accompli this is going to be the case for him right now and i think it's it, you have to imagine that he's at least suffering from continued soreness or, or something like that i mean the kings have a billion centers too so it's not like they need him but it would have been nice if he could have at least been trying to develop in the d-league right now and apparently he's not healthy enough uh, to do that despite the fact that we haven't had a report of an acute setback that he's suffered you're killing the lightning round nate but yeah that's a good point i, I know I got, well I, you're the one who decided you decided to do the lightning round i'm sorry i got stuff to say on these guys <laughs> so uh since we're already in the non-lightning let's talk a little bit about the all-star format change basically for those who haven't heard it they're shifting the format from conference versus conference to the top vote getters in each conference picking the teams however they are not changing how the players are selected to make the teams in the first place so it will still be equal numbers from the east and western conference my feeling is that this is a minor change that hopefully is a gateway to changing that conference structure that is a much smaller deal than changing it in the playoffs and would be much more fair i understand why they didn't want to do that all in one fell swoop i hope this is a step if it's not it's a disappointment but either way i think they won't agree to do that i I don't think it's going to happen i hope it does Uh, because i I agree with you it'd be fairer especially now that we have all this crap that's dependent on all-star although it is at least nice that the i think there are some bonuses and contracts still but it is nice that they change the qualification to get the higher maxes and doesn't include all-star any longer but i I, my guess would be any eastern conference teams why would you vote for that you would rather be like hey we got this all-star paul Millsap on our team like come on down and see paul Millsap. he's so amazing he's an all-star you know he'd love to be able to market like that yeah the drew holiday all-star bid things like that but yeah but you know I, yeah. I, all, all things considered and it even and it not even it even just has like the patina of the, of you know drew holiday if he doesn't make that all-star team do they get as much for him in the trade like it just it generally makes guys seem like now you have to pay them more that's a problem for these guys who aren't necessarily that good uh but you i think teams would rather have like gift all-star spots and much like with the playoffs i mean there's just no reason i mean it's not as important but no reason for the east to uh to agree to that um and and we'll talk a lot more too about like you know i'm sure before once the all-star rosters come out we'll do like a mock draft and stuff like this is actually gonna be fun i'm looking forward to to doing this still not gonna watch the game uh but we'll at least like have a little fun with picking the teams if you're actually like trying to win i'll probably watch it this year because i'll probably go but other if i weren't if i weren't doing that because it's in la this year so that that part of it is there um but the morris twins to transition awkwardly they were found not guilty in their trial so that is that is all kind of you know in terms of suspensions and all that i wouldn't expect anything to happen from this point and lowry markinen missed the first pre three preseason games with back issues he did play in their most recent one he went i think one for nine from the field but it was good to see him out there and before chris dunn got hurt we didn't talk about this in the disgusting open open dislocation part but they were alternating between jerry and grant and chris dunn both of whom i think looked better than i expected in the limited amount i have seen of the bulls preseason yeah i think dunn was like one for nine in the one game that he started so i mean he's had like a couple of nice drives looked a little bit more secure shooting the ball but i wasn't wasn't quite that that into it do we do rondo yet we got to do him he is out for potentially a, a month 
with a sports hernia. Let me see if there's anything new on that, actually, since I made that note. Uh, he's meeting with a specialist today to determine if he needs surgery. So uh, probably if he does need that surgery, six to eight week timetable for him. And while we have questioned his fit there in New Orleans, and they still do need him, he still can be a decent player. They don't really even have a backup point guard as well. So I think they uh, this is another hit for the Pelicans. And, you know, this is one I'm not sure how much like a sports hernia is really necessarily preventable. So whether to put it on their medical staff, but uh, if it's not their medical staff, it's really bad luck. The silver lining, as it were, is that this hopefully allows them to solidify a starting five that does not include Rajon Rondo, because I thought that was a very bad fit for where they were going. Maybe Etuan Moore, they can do a couple things. And they actually added a couple of wings in Tony Allen and, and Dante Cunningham, so they can work in that way. And yeah, I mean, allows them to do that. And, and this is another example of why basically giving away Tim Frazier was not the best idea, because they even though they had to squeeze every dollar, Tim Frazier was a very good value for the dollars that he got. Last thing i want to say before we get to albert navad connie hawkins passed away at the age of 75 he was an aba pioneer i actually had just been reading about him i guess listening about him was reading loose balls which is uh at least in the top five sports books i've ever read if you've never read that book uh you should definitely definitely read it or listen to it on audible.com slash capspace is your url to get a free audiobook you could make it that uh but anyway the hawk was a lot of people said wrongly kept out of the nba due to some associated Associations that he had. I think he didn't really debut until he was 26 or 27 in the ABA. He was one of the best players in the initial ABA for the, the then Pittsburgh Pipers. And if you watch some of the old highlights of him, uh, Curtis Harris at Pro Hoops History on Twitter has done a nice job of memorializing Connie Hawkins. Some of the stuff that he did with his enormous hands and some of the dunks that he had were stuff that like really nobody even can do today. Like nobody really seems to have hands that are big, that big. I mean, even more than like some of those Dr. J dunks. Like, like he would just like bring the ball one-handed around guys and dunk on them. It was really just incredible the stuff that he was doing for that era. Never really had the career in the NBA when he went to the Phoenix Suns. That would have been hoped. He kind of flamed out early. I think some injuries were involved there. But a guy that it's worth looking back on and appreciating and what limited highlights are available, definitely worth watching if you're sitting at your computer at work or something for a minute or two. Agreed on all that, but uh, unfortunately, we can't let that be the last thing to say because we forgot about something kind of big gary harris oh yeah i didn't put that in huh that's uh that was negligent even though we discussed it quite a bit four years 74 million with some incentives that can take it to 84 a trend that we have seen in a lot of these extensions and just in general with these incentives has been agents trying to make themselves look a little bit better we talked about that quite a bit in the last week or so that you know these contracts are kind of smaller than they had been in 2016 so at least in the initial reporting the agent can try to spin it as it came out initially and Woj is somewhat complicit in this but he at least then in his article about it made it clear that it was 74 million guaranteed with some incentives that I don't know exactly what they are but what I've been told is that they are very difficult to reach and difficult enough to reach that they'll be happy to pay him the 84 million if he does in fact reach them uh so reporting it as as 84 million they do the same thing in football too you know this is just what happens uh and so we're starting to see a little bit more of that now in basketball trying to make agents look good but at at four years 74 million what do you think of that number for Gary Harris I think that's pretty close at 84 it bothered me that it didn't seem like they were mitigating much risk but at 74 you know there's a chance that he could get a deal more in that vein as a free agent even though this is a loaded two-guard class he's a talented guy who could really show 
something also could get a lot more attention because he's going to be a part of a more successful team that can be a very big factor in all this is just the added spotlight of oh yeah he's he's a good player and now he's on a team that's making the playoffs you know chance they could win around in the playoffs that could that could really help him I'm a big fan of Gary Harris I think that he has a nice place on this Nuggets team 74 I still think is a little bit high I believe that's higher than we negotiated that we did in the in the rookie extension but it's it's yeah it, yeah in that it was it was four for 66 is what we came yeah, up so with there I, that's and, more uh, what I was so I guess I, I didn't do a good job <laughs> that's more what I was comfortable but, so, with so, yeah. but, but at the same but we're, you're in the range there like that you know when we when we do this sometimes yeah. we're you know we're a little bit more aggressive in, in fighting these because we're not dealing with the personalities and everything like these GMs are that have to deal with the players every day so that 74 gets it to in the like eh okay part of this as opposed to the whoa now which was where it was at 84 yeah it is still pretty high and I think one thing to think about is where is Gary Harris as a two guard like where does he rank right like if a guy isn't gonna rank you know in the top 10 at his position I think that paying him more than 15 million a year unless maybe it's point guard probably doesn't make a lot of sense right if you think about that as like your average starter money right uh you know and and maybe average starter is more like 17 million a year as the cap is going to go up we'll go up to 108 they hope in a couple of years that'll make this number look a little bit better than it is but i agree i don't i think that he could very well have been behind in the pecking order not a clear suitor for him necessarily a a team that's trying to get better like philly for example not a team i think of as a big threat for him unless they had just completely struck out on avery bradley and danny green and there's like three other guys who are also kind of you know west matthews if he had become a free agent there are a few other guys and i you can even make the argument that harris is a little bit more desirable than those guys but you can't wait around until july 8th to see whether your offer for gary harris gets matched which it probably would anyway you got to get someone that you know is going to be on your team if you're a philly philly so really the only teams that they would have had to fear are ones who have a lot of cap space and really kind of aren't going anywhere if they don't get him fine we'll just not really use this space you know that's really the curse of restricted free agency and again not really a lot of suitors that pop out you know maybe dallas if they had the money but maybe chicago although uh you know apparently they didn't like him too much because they traded him away for doug mcdermott uh at draft time uh brooklyn has plenty of two guards already atlanta has uh, plenty of two guards already you know maybe they could be a, a destination for him but probably not uh so yeah really not a huge threat there but this isn't like so bad that it's going to kill them and i think also with potential tax issues on the horizon getting some cost certainty does help yeah and we'll we'll talk about this in a future podcast inevitably but this move and the norman powell move are compelling in the sense that it does it puts cost certainty on the nuggets and the raptors but it does make them more likely to be on the tax fringe for next season they could either choose to embrace that and pay it for a year or two or they could move guys off but we'll talk about that in the future but it it is a an effect of these trades and the value that are the side the extensions and the values they got all right, we'll uh, bid adieu to Danny here and bring in Albert Namad. But first, this for Movement Watches. I've never really been a watch guy because it didn't didn't really see the point of him. I'm pretty practical. And I was like, oh, I can just look at my cell phone and the watches that I like that are really going to be, have great style. You know, it's four or 500 bucks minimum. I don't want to pay that much. But then I was introduced to Movement Watches. I'm glad that I was. My girlfriend now has one. My mom has one. She actually bought a couple for my cousins, her nieces as 
as well they all get plenty of compliments as do i on mine and it looks like it's a much more expensive watch but in reality they start at just 95 dollars, and that's before you even get your 15 percent discount with free shipping and free returns with that movement.com slash cap space mvmt.com slash cap space url movement was started by two broke college kids that wanted to wear stylish watches but couldn't afford them and movement watches are founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank that you can get something for a hundred dollars or a little bit over it that you're really going to be proud to wear and that you're going to get compliments on once again the way to get started with them and of course let them know that you came from us movement.com mvmt.com slash cap space is the url and that slash cap space url easy to remember because we talk about cap space ad nauseum here on the show movement.com slash cap space join the movement coming back for his second go now with our heat preview is albert namad he is the writer for his site heathoops.com probably the best guy in terms of detail on the salary cap in the uh blogosphere and also just a, a really really devoted follower of the miami heat the best guy out there i think to discuss the heat right now how you doing albert i'm doing well thank you for having me on yeah so this is one of the ones where we always like to start on these by asking how good they were a year ago this is one of the ones where it might be the most interesting of any team and maybe the most relevant because they brought back nearly the whole team but it, it was a tale of two seasons for the heat last year it really was in the first half of the season they were 11 and 30 and really just heading for trying to get uh, the worst record in the nba maybe a shot at the first overall pick and then in the second half of the season the exact midway point of the season they turned it right around and went 30 and 11 and even that didn't capture how well they played because Deion waiters went down in mid-march but that was good for second in the nba so it was really a tale of two seasons in one and what was really the the key turning point in, in in their ability to turn around was one of the most fundamental basketball principles, and that was drive and kick. So they just employed that really well. They averaged 35 drives per game last season, which was first in the NBA, and Waiters and Dragic were the key components of that. They averaged 23 together, which is the highest duo in the, in the NBA. They just excelled at breaking down the defense. They didn't necessarily shoot all that well at the rim, but what, what they did really well was pass out of it to open shooters. And when the Heat knocked down those open three-point shots, that penetration create they won and when they didn't they lost so it was really a, a straightforward type of a scenario for the heat last season they, they shot 41 percent on three pointers in their 41 wins that would have been first in the nba over the course of a full season they shot 32 percent in the 41 losses that would have been worst in the nba over the course of a full season so um it was really just predicated on their ability to break down the defense pass out of it and, and, and hit their open three-point shots yeah and obviously I, I, would you say though that during that 41 game streak that they shot it unsustainably well or do you think that that could be repeated for this year i thought they shot it unsustainably well i th- thought some people didn't shoot as well as they could have um josh richardson being one yeah um, but i thought a lot of people shot much better than they they probably will over time uh for instance Deion waiter shot 43.4 percent on catch and shoot threes last season now he is not as bad a catch and shoot three-point shooter as some might think he's actually had very good seasons is 43.4 sure. sustainable no but I do think 40% is reasonable. I mean, he shot 42, I think it was, in his, in his, in his um, what was it, his rookie season. Um, yeah. And then he shot 38 one season, and then he was awful one season. So 
he's had a little bit of fluctuation. Um, but I, I don't think 43.4% is sustainable. And he's got a, an ankle injury, which which really troubles me. Um, I, I was pretty high on him for this season. But but if he's not fully healed, then that, that could be a problem. Um, so also, um, um, Goran Dragic shot very well from three-point lands. He shot over 40%. He shot 62% on catch-and-shoot threes when he was fed the ball by Deion Waiters. <laughs> so you, you, I, I talk about three-point shooting a lot, but it was really the chemistry between Waiters and Dragic that was so great because I think what the Heat learned is you need to have more than one player to initiate the offense, especially when none of those players is a star, right? You can't just rely upon one to initiate the offense and break down the defense. You need to have two. And when you have two that are both good at that, with which uh, Waiters and Dragic are, but they also are each other's best floor spacer, that's really the gold standard. And that's really what, what propelled the Heat forward. So it wasn't only Waiters, it wasn't only Dragic that shot great when, when, when Waiters passed in the ball. Waiters did the same as well. I mean, obviously, like I said, he led the team 43.4% in catch and shoot and uh, just about the same percentage when the ball came from, from Dragic. So that's what really propelled the Heat forward. And one of the things that, and watching them again against Orlando the other day, I was reminded really of, because you don't look at this team and like, oh man, they just have so many shooters, you know, but you know, Wayne Ellington is very underrated in that regard. Actually, he was a guy last year who was in the top 10 uh, among guys who actually played more than a thousand minutes in three-point attempts for 36 minutes. He shot 38% and uh, 41% uh, during that 41-game streak. Tyler Johnson, uh, quite solid. Josh Richardson had got back, shot 37% last year. You know, he had the first half of his year was wrecked by that that MCL injury. Uh, And then Waiters, you know, he just overall from three-point range shot 45%, Dragic 41 during that streak. And Luke Babbitt, who is no longer on the team, but uh, was the biggest skill that he had was shooting. He shot 46% during that period. So it's really, uh, and they they always had really, uh, you know, Justice Winslow, we can talk about him a lot more later, but with him not playing, they almost nearly always had four guys who could shoot the three. uh, And then they had two really good role guys in Whiteside and Reed. So it was a difficult offense to stop despite what you might consider a lack of superstar talent they had enough shooting around it to actually be a very difficult stop offensive team oh yeah i mean they averaged uh in the second half of the season their offensive rating was what 109 and change which would have been the second best in heat history <laughs> it was really impossible to stop when when everything was clicking and and ellington was a key you mentioned ellington he was a key cog in that he shot his career average so you're like well there was nothing special about that but you really have to dig into what he did to oh yeah how great he was i mean he shot what 6.4 attempts at three per game and and that was like two and a half times his next best high in a season yep. so he's really taking a lot and he was never standstill he was always shooting i know the- yeah that's really so he, he really had a breakthrough season he really had to to maneuver around being able to bring in three guys they, they brought back two and, and and got kelly olenek and they had to really maneuver around to be able to sneak him in on his non-guaranteed contract and, and they fit it all in in sort of a in sort of a like a late night move that um people were having trouble figuring out i knew there was something going on there um they used uh incentive bonuses to be able to sneak him in he was really important so he was an initiator of the offense just in his ability to move around yeah and i mean he's coming off of screens i mean they coming off of iverson cuts shooting threes like he's actually very difficult to defend uh and i mean even in that orlando game that i watched uh, over the weekend he was causing problems for them didn't even play until the second quarter in fact uh and that's one thing i wanted to talk to now here is and we can talk about some of the new additions kelly Olynyk signing that four 
four-year, $50 million deal. Uh, Bam Adebayo, who I, I'm guessing is probably not really going to play very much coming no. in here. But how do you see the rotation shaking out on this team? I mean, I, you know, they have so many quality players, but they also don't really have a traditional three uh, right. who can who can shoot the ball. Winslow can, is the, the one who really can guard the three. So what do you think? Like, who's going to start for this team? Who do you think is going to close games for this team? So that's going to be the interesting question for the Heat. And the Heat last year rotated through a, a bunch of different combinations. And I think you're going to find the same this time around. Their problem, as you said, is they have essentially five shooting guards. You know, Waiters, Richardson, Tyler Johnson, Wayne Ellington, Rodney Magruder, and just one small forward, Justice Winslow. And I'm not sure Winslow is going to command the small forward spot for, for a long period of time. Yeah, I, so they, I, got, I see him as more of a four at this point, even Winslow. Well, I, we can get into that. What I see Winslow's role at this point is essentially, it's going to be interesting. They're going to, I think, where it will come out and, and they'll rotate through a lot, like I said before, but I think where he could excel is essentially, this team does not have a backup shooting guard, uh, sorry, backup point guard. They try to use Tyler Johnson in that role, which is a huge mistake to me. He is a great shooting guard. Not for, I mean, he's a very good shooting guard, very underrated shooting guard, but not at all a point guard. I think Winslow could excel as the backup point guard in essence. Um, and he'll, he'll probably headline a second unit with Tyler Johnson and Kelly Olenek. That's, that, that could become a, a very good second unit. But I see as the starting unit, obviously, it's going to be Goran Dragic and Dion Waiters. The question is, who's going to play small forward? And I think they're going to rotate through a lot there. They have a number of options. They could try to choose Kelly Olenek as the power forward and slide James Johnson to small forward since he's since he's um, versatile in that way. If that's not enough shooting, and I anticipate it won't be um, over the course of time, then they could try to slide Kelly on Olenek again to, to power forward and put James Johnson as the backup with Tyler Johnson as they did last year. They like that, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't think you pay that kind of money to to James Johnson and, and not have him start. So ultimately, I think he's going to start, um, and, and you'll just rotate through three guard rotations, which they did a lot last year too. So Waiters, um, um, Dragic, and maybe Richardson will get his chance. Josh Richardson. I don't think Tyler. Johnson's going to get him get his get his chance. Tyler Johnson's an interesting scenario, right? They picked up um, that uh, that uh, they, they matched that offer sheet last season, even right. though he was 19 in the last two seasons, and he is he was very healthy last season. He played 73 games um, relative to the rest of the team. That was very very healthy, and he's only one of three players who didn't start a single game. I'm confused as to why you would have picked up matched that offer sheet if you didn't ever intend to even give him a shot to start. But um, you know, when you come to uh, so I don't think he's going to start all this season. I think you know even. Magruder, obviously, I think is going to start this. So I think they're going to start the season essentially as as Dragic, Waiters, Magruder, James Johnson, and Hassan Whiteside and go for there. But when you say when you say who's going to end the game, last season they rotated through so many different players who, who were actually the crunch time key guy. They started at at, at Dion, uh, sorry, they started at, at Dragic. They went through Waiters, and who broke out for a period of time was Tyler Johnson. He was really the go-to guy for for a long period of time, and then Waiters ultimately in the second half of the season became the most critical person on the team, I think. Um, and he became the go-to guy until he got hurt. And then they rotated through Johnson and, and Dragic again. So the, the the thing about this Heat team is they are incredibly deep with skilled players, but they don't have a single all-star anywhere on the roster. So when you come to crunch time situations, they really, they have a lot of players who could be good in that role, but nobody who can be the, the Dwayne Wade type, just give it to him and get out of the way type of scenario. So yeah. that's, 
that's both their strength and their weakness i guess yeah i mean i i think in crunch time that can be a strength when you're not just pounding the ball and everyone knows where the ball is going and certainly Dragic when he's running a pick and roll can be extremely effective with the floor space and it's oh. funny because he's had so much time throughout his career where he's been really really good but he's had these other guys fighting with him for touches was it in phoenix with oh. bledsoe and then isaiah and then with dwayne wade when he came over to miami and then i think you know last year waiters even you know got the ball as much waiters was good last year i i don't anticipate that'll be as much the case this season although i think he'll still be a quality player but it, it's uh last year was really the first time in quite some time that Dragic really got to be the main guy and he absolutely delivered i thought and i think people don't discuss him enough uh when talking about this heat team and why they're so good absolutely i mean last year at this time you asked me who who was going to sort of have the, the the biggest improvement and i i mentioned to you um goran Dragic was the guy and 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 goran Dragic had a, had a phenomenal season um but i don't I don't know if I, I think people are fighting with him for the ball. I think he's deferential. And that's sort of, you know, maybe his, his problem a little bit in that he has to be aggressive in, in trying to get that last shot because he's very, very good good at it. So I, I hope he steps up a little bit more. I, I tend to see Waiters as the guy who demands the ball more than yeah. more than Dragic. And oh, Waiters, oh, he'll demand the ball. <laughs> yeah, I worry about Waiters again. I mean, Waiters, is, if you ask me, uh, in, you know, people who, who could potentially um, – both improve and, and regress a little bit. Waiters is is, is obviously a, a target for you know both in some areas of his game, but um, I think Dragic is the more stable person in terms of a go-to guy in the crunch who can deliver for you. Um, and if he steps up and really demands the ball in those situations, I think he could thrive. Yeah, Waiters, such weird shooting splits for him. You mentioned he gets to the room all the time. Horrible finisher, fifty-one uh, percent, which is you know right around where he's been at his whole career uh, at the rim uh, from floater range under. 30% same thing uh from 10 to 16 feet and then on long twos nearly all of which are contested by and off the dribble by the way 43% and, and then he shot 39.5% from three so if yeah. those if the, especially those long two if that number goes down then he he's taking a lot of bad shots that maybe are coming out of the hands of, of better shooters um you know I think going back to what the crunch time lineup will be I think much is going to depend on matchups because as we noted there isn't necessarily anyone who's the size to guard a traditional three maybe other than Winslow and Winslow provides issues with his shooting so if they don't if they're going against say like a Washington Wizards team that has Otto Porter who's not going to just bludgeon somebody in the post you know a team that doesn't have an elite wing I think they'll they can go with waiters at the three or Josh Richardson play those two guys together uh Magruder probably wouldn't be in the closing lineup but you could maybe start him they've done that uh for quite some time so they would have be able to go with one of these shooting guards at the three no problem and that would really help the offense it's just you know if you're going against miami or you're going against golden state or oklahoma city teams and i mean i guess another nice thing for them really is other than Giannis and lebron there really aren't any of those guys in the eastern conference who are going to cause them problems uh with the the size at the three so i think that the matchups do kind of favor this heat team because they have a lot of great defenders as long as they're not guarding someone who's too big i i agree completely 
Deion Waiters had a great season defensively. Uh, Goran Dragic is, is sort of average, I guess you would say, as a defender. But um, James Johnson is an incredible defender. I mean, it was a, it was a crime how, how he was treated um, at the end of the season. You know, the all-NBA team, all-defense team, he wasn't obviously in consideration for any of the 10. But there were 49 players who got at least a vote. He didn't get one. <laughs> that was shocking. I mean, he, he defended all positions on the court, yeah. and he did very well. So, um, I, I, yeah. I think Kobe Bryant might have gotten a vote for that, and he's retired. So, yeah, you I mean, could you could at least th- throw throw a vote around, uh, uh, I, I guess, considering some of the other people who do get votes for that. Yeah, and then Whiteside obviously is going to give you what he gives you on defense. So I think this this does have the potential to be a very good defensive team. But as as you say, like a six foot four shooting uh, small forward, if it's Magruder or Waiters, uh, um, um, Waiters is probably even shorter, six three, right? Um, yeah. Um, so they're they're trying to get Josh Richardson into that role. He's a little bit taller. He's six foot six, but he's also you know very skinny so i think that's the area they wanted to if you go back to what the heat did this summer um you knew they were going to go after um gordon hayward but when that was unsuccessful you knew they were going to um, circle back and sign beyond waiters and james johnson back the question is what were they going to do with the third uh, they wanted a small a, a small forward they recognized the problem but there just was nobody yeah and that's when they circled back to kelly Olynyk. but i think i think that over the course of the season if, if a small forward should become available that they'll, they'll certainly be open to that which I have some questions into how they handle certain parts of the summer, um, you know, namely the, the Bam at a bio draft, uh, draft pick, um, um, because it, it might have hindered their ability to be able to, uh, to to be able to put forth a good offer in trade. But um, I think they'll pursue that if they can. I think they recognize it as a weakness, and, and that's what I think they're doing. By the way, overall, when they sign, re-signed Deion Waiters, when they when they signed Kelly Olynyk, when they James Johnson, not so much, but um, when they gave the contract extension to Josh Richardson, I think they're trying to build up a bunch of guys on reasonable contracts you know maybe they're they're a tiny bit excessive now but if any one of them breaks out they become value contracts yeah and i think that's what he's doing it's it's riley's new version of flexibility he can't he he can't anymore primarily because tyler johnson's contract rises he couldn't anymore do the cap space thing so now what he's trying to do is just build up a lot of guys on reasonable contracts and if any of them break out they become value contracts and and and, and tradable uh, assets for us and and i think he'll use that if he finds a, a small forward that 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 he thinks could complement the team. Yeah, and I want to get back to it. We'll talk a little bit more about some of their machinations over the summer since I know that's a favorite topic of yours and mine as well, of course. But one question I want to ask you before that is, they have all these shooting guards. I want you to just rank those guys in terms of who you think is the best player. I mean, that obviously, it's situational. But between Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, Wayne Ellington, uh, Dion Waiters, and I guess you could throw Magruder into that category too. Like, you just rank those guys. Who do you think is are the best is gonna i mean not the best player now even but like who's gonna give the best performance this season I would separate Deion Waiters from the rest of those guys because Deion Waiters, those guys, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, Wayne Ellington, I see those guys as as, as primarily, with the exception of, of Ellington, who, who doesn't only you know catch and shoot. I see those guys as shooters. Waiters is really more of an initiator of offense. If you use yeah. Tyler Johnson or Josh Richardson in that way, they will not excel. And, you know, like I said earlier, the Heat learned they need two penetrators and Waiters went down. They didn't have that second eventually who stepped up was was james johnson but for a while the heat the heat's offense struggled without waiters they tried uh tyler johnson they tried josh richardson they just didn't work out in that role so if you ask me it depends on how you're asking me who the best one is if you're asking yeah. me who the best penetrator is there's only one and that's Dion waiters if you're asking me who who the best sort of off the ball three-point shooter which is a very important role 
I'm hoping Josh Richardson, the second half of his first season, he shot 53% from three. Now, obviously, yeah. that's not sustainable, but it showed it, something that he didn't show before in, in college. And, and uh, he looked he was, he was looked unbelievable shooting the ball uh, in that game against the Magic over the weekend, too. Yeah, so I'm hoping he's the one who steps up and really embraces. They're, they're, they're trying to get him on the court, hopefully. I think they're, they're giving him a shot at small forward. I don't think that's where he's going to excel. That's the problem. We have a lot of shooting guards in no small <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know where you get them all on the court. Tyler Johnson is is is. I think he's better than people give him credit for. He's really good as a yeah. as a catch and shoot type of three uh, uh, three point shooter. He's he's a re- he's shocking. He's six foot three and he must weigh like sixty five pounds, but he can he can jump through the roof, grab you rebounds, uh, and play both spots defensively. I don't think he's a point guard offensively, but I do think he can guard both backcourt spots defensively, which gives you a ton of flexibility. So I see potential there too. I'm hoping Josh Richardson becomes the guy and Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Ellington is is a he's got a more of a specialist skill set a very important one but he's also not the long-term guy that maybe a Josh Richardson is because his yeah. contract is expiring though hopefully they'll bring him back if he has another good season but he's also going to be 30 and he's going to be 31 at the start of what would be the next season so uh, he's not so much the future as maybe a Josh Richardson is yeah I'm a little higher on Richardson's uh, ability as, a, as an offensive player than you are I think he actually can uh can maybe mature into being more of a player with the ball in his hands and i i actually now it's not to say that he and waiters can't play alongside each other and it could well be that you know richardson is the starting three especially in certain matchups as you mentioned although they do seem very interested in because magruder started for a lot of last year i think that yep. they're interested in playing him i mean I, i'm just not sure that he's quite in the class of some of these other guys but he's he's maybe a little bit more profiling as a guy who can guard threes than uh maybe richardson richardson again more of a one two defender and a really good one as well but I, I think he could maybe be a little bit better uh I would say Richardson is probably my favorite of that group but as you mentioned you know waiters does something a little bit different than the rest of them do yeah what, I, yeah yeah I don't, I, don't, I don't think you can compare waiters and Richardson together because they they play different roles if you ask me who my favorite was I mean I love Josh Richardson yeah <laughs> I, he's gonna no, be me, me too man he's that guy's just a shark on defense I love it yeah you asked me who my favorite player on the team was last year and I told you Josh Richardson so I'm like <laughs> changed <laughs> so yeah yeah so, so i take it you you uh you thought that extension four years 42 million uh player option on the last year which is the most they could give him uh under the new extension rules you, you were in favor of that extension uh, I'm, I'm one of the few players on earth who actually maybe was not in favor of that I, i'm okay with it i maybe i wouldn't have done it only because i look around and i i see the rest of uh all, all the teams in the nba what he got in his extension was higher than what the mid-level exception would be next year and he'll be a restrict he would have been a restricted free agent next year so there's really only a couple of teams in the nba who could have went after him and given more money than he's already secured now um and i i don't know i mean if he doesn't perform if he if his three-point shooting from last year is the norm then with so many other shooting guards on the roster um like you know you know maybe we could have gotten him for, for cheaper and and even if he does perform i don't see many teams offering a whole lot more so you know why put forth the risk but i understand why they did it right like i said before they're trying to build up assets it's not a yeah. bad contract not in any way shape or form now you've got him locked in for four years so uh, four years plus this year so that's really five years so all, all of a sudden he's another asset that you've got and if he breaks out like i think he will then it becomes a, a huge value 
value contract. Yeah, I, I think my biggest issue with it probably was the player option on the last year. I think if your idea is, hey, we're going to give you money now, you want to see if you can lock him in a little bit longer if he does break out. I mean, I, I think there certainly is some risk there. He did shoot it better the second half of last year. You know, thirty-seven. If you shoot thirty-seven percent, that's totally fine, uh, especially because I think he's going to start taking some harder attempts. And I, I see your point there about you know how many teams are really going to have more than the mid-level exception. Um, but also they're able to get him under contract for at least three years, which is nice. I, I it's and kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they have uh there's they have a thing going here where they're trying to keep this group together keep everyone happy as well i think that you know there's a psychological component here that if he's in a contract year and there's all these guys that are playing his position fighting for playing time if he doesn't play you know he could become a problem maybe in the locker room as well you know and i think by paying all these guys at least you know if guys don't play you could be like well you know it's not like killing your next contract so i i, I like i you said I, I understand why they did it what did you think of the uh the Olenek deal well, I think they they had in mind to re-sign Dion Waiters. They had in mind to re-sign James Johnson. They had some cap space left over, and they didn't they didn't have anywhere else to put it. Yeah. Getting Kelly he, Ol- he was the best guy on the market at the time, I think. Yeah, I, I, nobody had ever heard of him as a possibility in Miami before. It shocked us all, but you could see how he fits, right? Um, the Heat seemed to like that. Yeah. Um, you, you, you can't have someone that pale in Miami. He just he just doesn't fit in with the team. Well, he's he's got big hair, right? We like those kinds of guys. <laughs> <laughs> Roberts. Um, so, you know, the Heat had a fascination with Josh McRoberts. It didn't work out. Uh, he's still not fully healthy yet in Dallas. So you can see why it was it was really time to yeah. move on. I did not like that trade. I thought the Heat gave up a bunch for it. I thought they rushed into something yeah. in the nth hour when they could have taken a couple of weeks. But maybe I, I didn't know at the time that he's still not healthy. Um, so maybe that's yeah. part of it. Yeah, but, counting but, on him, I think, would be foolish at, the, at this point to either be healthy or perform even even when he was with oh, given no. his history so I, I don't think I, I, I don't think Josh McRoberts is going to be on the team um, in this year under any circumstance but that trade by the way they, they traded Josh McRoberts who had a six million dollar expiring contract for 5.1 in cash uh, 2000 I think 23 second round pick and they took on AJ Hammonds who wasn't really on uh, on Riley's radar they just took him on he has a multi-year guarantee but at the minimum salary and all of that only created 1.5 million dollars of cap space um, well, relative- in comparison to stretching him you're saying yes in comparison to stretching him so um maybe again i think they wanted kelly olenic uh, i think they see him as a, as a player who can sort of play the josh mcroberts role but i didn't love the trade so I, I have a little bit of an issue with that but um it's all right yeah i mean i think giving up the 5.1 in cash i mean I, now they can't trade anymore this year which is, is going to be an issue for them but I, I you know it's i understand why they did it just to, because every dollar counted in terms of signing a Linux, where I mean, they had to go into all those gyrations with the unlikely bonuses just to get all those guys on the team, Johnson, Waiters, and Olenek, and fit them into their space and keep Ellington as well, who's a, a critical piece. Uh, so, it, you know, it wasn't, I, I understand why they went the way and they felt, you know, give up a 2023 second rounder, which I, is, I think was the only one they had available to trade at the time. The, early, yep, the earliest, yeah. Uh, you know, when that's the only one you have to trade, I mean, for most organizations, they're like 2023, that's 
so far on the horizon for a second rounder it's worthless um and, and taking on hammonds you know 1.5 million or so for next year they're not gonna have cap space next year anyway so uh and they could always stretch that if if the tax becomes a concern so i mean i, I guess they just felt like every dollar counted and that i, I think getting rid of getting rid of salary is proved pretty difficult right like you know for example i bet the bucks would have loved to have rather than stretch spencer hawes who is almost the exact same amount of money as mcroberts and actually might play this year they would have loved to have been able to do that deal instead of having to stretch him uh because now they're gonna they've got tax problems for the next couple of years so i I understand why they went that way i think they were just worried like hey we could do this now and it's only going to get tighter as far as being able to get off the salary so if we could do this now and get him gone completely you know we might as well take the opportunity and you know we're only really giving up in terms of cash which doesn't matter that much and a second round that's really far away in the future i agree that that was just a small thing that i that i noticed i I had yeah but but that's what you and i talk about right i mean if we're (laughs) why else why else are you on the show for us to discuss a trade of josh mcroberts and a second rounder in cash for five minutes uh you know my only point is it it seemed to happen so quickly well uh, maybe they've been they've probably been pulling josh mcroberts trades for a very long period of time so they knew what they were doing and and knew at the time that he wasn't going to be healthy that that changed the equation at the time i was sitting there saying wow they gave up a lot i didn't know that he he wasn't going to be healthy right now um if he was i think he's still a pretty productive player so that sort of changes the dynamic of that trade the trade the, the, the scenario i had more issues with is not kelly olenic and how, how they've created the room for him but but bam out of bio I don't, if we get into that then um that was something i had a little bit more of an issue with um but again the major deals are, are all as expected these are minor things but yes in terms of bam's drafting i, I wasn't really wasn't really in love with that one so much yeah. Kelly Linick, he could be a good player for the heat if he performs and he shoots his threes but bam uh, i have some issues with well and i like the fit of a Linick with justice winslow uh on the second unit because a Linick, if he's playing the five and i expect him to get most of the minutes at backup five it, it wouldn't shock me if he starts at the four and they just bring james johnson off the bench just because that's what they did a lot last year but uh you know i think his primary role is going to be as as a backup five and his ability to space the floor works with winslow who of course you know can't space the floor at all uh really can you give us like the 30 seconds on why you didn't like the Adebayo pick yes uh, for, for a couple of reasons first uh, um, bringing in bam, uh, bam essentially meant the departure of willie reed who only played 14 and a half minutes a game but i i really liked him in the role that he had last year i thought he played really well but four reasons and i'll, I'll try to go really quickly um the first is it sucked out 2.5 million dollars of cap room which the heat would have desperately needed if if they had gotten gordon hayward at the time we didn't know that they weren't going to get him um that's a that's sort of a minor yeah. issue they, the they one, might have known they, they probably suspected but yeah I, I, the, the, the second one is of course we lost willie reed also a minor issue what, what i would have done it, it only helps to know what i would have done in order to be able to, to say why i didn't really sure. love him. and what i would have done is i really liked laurie markinen at the time i mean i did i whether or not he works out i don't know some people like zach collins but the heat knew all along that they weren't going to get either one of those players at, at, at pick number 14 so what i would have done was trade it out um and i would have tried to trade for a pick next year and i didn't i wouldn't necessarily have cared if it was 14 15 16 projected even to be 20 i might have taken a little bit of a worse of a pick only because like i said it created 
it would have created a little bit of extra cap space. It would have meant we probably could have re-signed Reed with the room mid-level exception, as we, some of us were talking about before. Um, but more importantly, it would have given us a future first-round pick, of course. But the fourth thing is really, really important. It would have made the Heat's 2019 first-round pick immediately tradable. And that could have big implications because I think the Heat are trying to get that small forward. And I, I, I think there are scenario, trade scenarios that they will consider. As of now, the pick is only tradable after the 2018 draft. But, 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 but think about one thing that already happened. And I don't know if it would have made a difference, but maybe you can see where I'm going, right? Um, eventually, Kyrie Irving became available in trade. I don't think the Heat would have had enough to get him under any circumstances, but they were interested. And they, if you believe certain reports, they offered Justice Winslow and Goran Dragic. And that wasn't enough to get it done. But what if you have those two and a 2019 first round pick? I, I still don't think it's enough relative to what Boston offered. But you can see why having that first round pick in 2019 available, available for trade this season was so important. And I think giving that up was for, for a guy who, for a guy in Bam who I don't see uh, playing a whole lot. If he plays well, maybe he steals all of uh, all of Reed's 14 minutes. But we're talking about 14 minutes on the high end and, and low, and he's not really going to get a whole lot of playing time. To give up all of that flexibility to me wasn't wasn't worth it but um i hope he performs and then proves me wrong yeah i think they just really liked him as a player that might might have been part of it and it's uh yeah I, I see the point about the flexibility too and he's and at the time maybe they felt like hey you know what like willie reed has these exorbitant contract demands i mean with some of the reporting that's come out with chris haynes about you know oh claiming that the heat offered him three years 15 million and he turned it down and was told to turn it down by his unlicensed <laughs> agent like that would indicate that perhaps his salary demands were a little bit higher than you know what they felt like they could afford you know, the heat have denied that they made that offer uh but in any event yeah so i don't know if they felt like hey we can get this guy back for sure to, to me as far as the draft was concerned i was looking to get a small forward if one was available if not i was looking to get a power forward because remember yeah. james johnson was not resigned at that point and we don't really right. have any other power forward so that's why i was sort of interested in the marketing slash collins type well um type of type of draft pick but i don't think a backup center was was what we what we were really looking for at the time so it was a little bit shocking to me um and to give up all the other things that i mentioned was maybe not the best but in, in the end of the day it really didn't well who knows that, that first round pick if we if we if we found a, a trade um maybe at the trade deadline this season we can't do it because we don't have it we do have one um first round pick to offer but that's all the way out in what 2024 yeah. or something like that so um it's a whole lot different when you have a near-term first round draft pick to offer yeah and, and of course the reason that they can't trade any first rounders before that is because they owe 2018 and 2021 to uh, the Suns from uh, the the Dragas trade. Uh, real quickly, fact, here, I, yeah, go ahead. Just, sorry. Just one thing on that. There's a lot of reporting here that, that the Heat will not have any draft picks to offer, first round picks to offer for a very long period of time. That's actually not true. As soon as the 2018 draft is over, the Heat can offer its 2019 pick. So maybe not this season, but in on June, whatever it is, 25th, they'll be able to offer 2000, um, and 2019 pick because they're they're not. They're not, they're not, they don't owe a 2020 pick, so therefore they'll be able to trade a 2019 pick. Anyway, I just wanted to clarify that one thing. All right, so we've hit on this to some degree so far, but want to really get into it now. Who do you think uh, is likely to improve on this team? It's an interesting question because they had a lot of guys who broke out last year, but a lot of those guys are young as well. So what do you, who do you think is going to get better? And then maybe who uh, might not sustain their performance from last year? So who do I think is going to get better? 
better. If Josh Richardson jumps to mind, again, he shot 33% on threes last season. He, he started the season late because of his injury, and he, he didn't really perform at the level he did in the second half of the first season. I think, I certainly hope and think that he gets his shooting uh, shooting back, and I think he'll, I don't know, I, I think he'll shoot in the, in the range of 40% on his threes, maybe even a little bit higher, hopefully. That would be incredible uh, if he does that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm shooting for 40% from him, and he shot 33 last year, so that would be a big improvement. Um, and I think he's fully capable of it. Rodney Magruder is the same scenario. I, I don't think the Heat wanted to, uh, Rodney Magruder to be their starting uh, small forward. I think at this point he might be. Um, I don't think that's that was the vision. I think they'd rather have him as a, as a backup. But he was a rookie last year and he played pretty well. But he too, now in his sophomore season, you know, he shot 33 just like Richardson. And I think he's he's got um, a little bit uh, of area for improvement there. The headliners, I don't think. Hassan Whiteside is, is, is who he is. Goran Dragic had a great season, uh, improving. <laughs> I don't think so. So you're, you're talking about more of these the, the role player types that, that really have a chance to improve, especially yeah. the young yeah, and uh, I mean, the the two that come to mind are Dragic and Waiters, maybe as regression candidates. Uh, but Waiters is pretty young. You know, nobody really, unless you're a, a spectacular player, shoots that well on long twos from, you know, with the type of contested attempts th- that he did. So what do you project from those guys this year? How much of last year can they maintain? So Dragic and Waiters, I'm going to say those are regression candidates, particularly with their shooting. But, but again, like I said before, Dragic and Waiters have both done that kind of thing before so maybe it, hopefully it won't be a sort of a, a very large regression but I don't think it's 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 wise to, to project Dion Wade shooting 43% on threes especially if he's not healthy if he's not healthy that could be a big regression um, so I'm really worried about that ankle he had the potential to get um, um, ankle surgery and he chose against it because it was an 8 to 10 month recovery um, that would have taken him well into the season so I'm really worried about him but if you ask me who's likely to get worse or regress just a little bit I'm going to throw out a, an interesting name at you which you um may or may not agree with and that's james johnson uh, when, I, I do agree with that when james johnson when, when Dion waiters went down james johnson just basically stepped up and became that secondary playmaker i mean he did everything he led the fast break he dished out some passes he had some big shots rebounds and obviously his defense was phenomenal but you know with uh, healthy waiters it changes the dynamic i'm not sure he's going to be as effective playing off the ball when when waiters and dragish are the primary playmakers he he had a career best 38 percent in catch and shoot threes last season i, I don't think that's sustainable I, I think and overall he shot a career best 34 percent from three i don't think that's repeatable it worries me uh, that's the re- reason why i wouldn't have given him a four-year contract i was okay with the amount of the contract in terms of annual salary but i personally wouldn't have given him a four-year deal he's also 30 years old um he was in phenomenal condition last season there's a lot of worry with James Johnson that a lot of aspects of his games were just so much better than the norm that they could come down. Um, and, and he got, uh, of the of the of all the guys that they signed this summer, he got the biggest contract. So that's a little bit worrying. Um, and then another one, uh, obviously, I, w- I would stick in there is, is Wayne Ellington, only because he did so great. Um, to, to ask him to do what he did with as many attempts as he did and the way he did it, which is just moving off of screens and, and, and jumping all around the place and, and really becoming our entire offense when it was stagnating a little bit maybe that's not repeatable either but in terms of the one that worries me is James Johnson and I would say the second Deion Waiters only because well not only but primarily because I really do worry about that ankle 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's a reason why those guys got one year $4 million and one year $2.9 million last year. And then, in, and that was in a much more liberal cap environment than we saw this summer. And I agree with you on Johnson. It's difficult to say because, I mean, I, I noted it. He was fat in Toronto. I mean, and he, when they said he came in, he was 275, which is insane for someone with his role and body type. And, you know, I think he got down to probably maybe 230, 235. And the, the Heat do a great job job of getting guys in shape of keeping guys in shape if there's any organization that can help him to maintain these improvements but you're going against the trend there of a guy who was really i mean had never been even a quality rotation player in the nba maybe you could say uh in toronto in, in 2014-15 other than that really had not been an effective player until his age 29 season with miami and a lot of that was because he got into that phenomenal shape but when you do that at 29 i mean you're always going to expect some regression and you know I, I agree with you i think that's going to be close to one of the worst contracts in the nba by the time it's over um you know especially because by that point uh all of those other horrible 2016 contracts w- will be off the books um let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh what you see as the main strengths of this team strengths of the team <laughs> well first is clearly depth right uh, they don't have a single all-star anywhere on the roster but they got a ton of quality players that really fit all of the key roles for success, which is why they found it last in the second half of last season. I mean, they got guys who can break down the defense. They got guys who can space the floor. They've got Whiteside, who's a strong interior presence. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Whiteside yet. Yeah, let's, actually, let's break off real quickly. Like, where is Hassan Whiteside as a player? Now? I mean, he's got this max contract. Like, is he anywhere close to worth that? Like, how, how are you feeling about him just as a player these days? Uh, I'm continue to be the one, one of the ones that actually very much like Hassan Whiteside. If you ask me, if you go in and ask me the weaknesses of this team i i, I couldn't come i can't come up with one the, 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 a particularly glaring um well yes i can the one thing about Whiteside, i will say is they have to use him in the right way he is not a back to the basket low post offensive well, player they, he I mean, has to use himself in the right way i think yeah well yes but they, they you'll notice in a couple of games in the beginning of the beginning of the games they always just try to feed him in a low post and he is spectacularly awful in that way oh it's so bad i actually tweeted out when i was watching that game the other day like if i never have to watch another hassan whiteside post up other than just all right if he posts up right at the charge circle and transition and gets a deep post up okay like you throw it to him but like if he's not doesn't have two feet in the lane do not throw him the ball in the post but the problem is like he has to be motivated to defend and and get on the boards and i think they feel like all right we got to waste a couple few possessions here throwing him the ball in the post because otherwise he's not going to try hard enough well yeah I think the way they can use him is really in, in, in a screen and roll. He doesn't, it frustrates me sometimes that he doesn't get set to good hard screens, but he has that capability and he can roll off of that and it would just be unstoppable, especially if they have shooting around it, um, to be able to stop him on a screen and roll. I think they should run that play, that very basic play, a lot, like every sure. time down the court, um, so that he's touching the ball and, and, and staying happy because if he's motivated and he's scoring a lot of points, then he becomes more of a presence on the defensive end also. And that's that's an area where he could really make his mark as as a, as a shot blocker and, a, and as an as a just a dominant interior in presence on on the defensive end. So I, I tend to you ask me whether I like that contract. Yeah, I do because I think he's a critical component to the team. There are aspects of this game that didn't develop like the way that we thought they would. Um, but um, overall, I still think he's he's a dominant presence on both sides if they use him correctly. Yeah, and I think a lot of it too his defensive effect depends on the matchups, right? If you're playing against 
against a team like the Warriors always just kill him because well, if he's, yeah. because he he will never ever leave the paint and so if you just That's run a pick and roll with his man and Steph Curry Steph Curry is just going to get a wide open three or if you run a pin down for Clay Thompson with his man setting the screen Clay Thompson is going to get wide open but you know not every team is the Warriors and even in the east Boston maybe I think is a team that could give him a lot of trouble um and, and Cleveland probably as well is a team that can give him a lot of trouble in, with the spacing that they have I mean if if they're going to start with Kevin Love at center you know who's he going to guard it's going to be very difficult for him um but I think against most teams on a night-to-night basis in the regular season he's a major factor I agree there, there's I agree with both of your your aspects of your point uh, there are a lot of things where if you really pay attention he really can't do uh he's never going to leave the pin he's not going to rotate out to the perimeter he's not going to be good on the pick and roll he's not even going to be great uh just one-on-one defensively on a dominant not a, a very good low post scorer he, he's going to let up a lot of points to that type of person where he's really uh, better is sort of coming off the ball and, and trying to make and trying to block shots that way and just just stopping penetration when they come to him he's not some guy who's going to rotate out to, 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 to try to, to try to stop anything along the perimeter and he's not some guy who's going to be the, the most dominant one-on-one defender down low on the block yeah so it's yeah I think you could make the point that like he's maybe overpaid in the sense that if you're a free agent this last summer he doesn't get a max contract but I agree with you if they can just kind of ease him into I, I always think of uh, I don't know if you watch the show Mad Men but there's a scene where uh Peggy Don Draper's underling wants like more recognition and he's yells at her like you'll you know you're not gonna get any recognition that's what the money is for and for Assad White that I kind of think of that too right like you're not gonna get any post-ups like that's not what you're good at like that's your recognition like that's what the money is for now go defend and rebound and and get on the offensive glass and and run pick and roll but you know I'm not sure that he is he is quite wired that way but we talk we talk a lot about negatives but the positives are just so obvious right on the offense and he does command one or two defenders um to be able to stop him from getting all the rebounds and and, and just throwing them uh, back in uh, the pick and roll just has to be respected so when you suck in the defense like that it opens up the game for your three-point shooter so he does play a critical role even if he does have his weaknesses on both ends of the floor he can be a, a huge impact yes there are certain matchups in which he could get um, exposed, but overall, as, the, as for what the team is trying to do, he plays a big, 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 big role to me. Yeah. So some other strengths that pop out to me, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I felt like we needed to talk about Whiteside. We hadn't really mentioned him yet. Uh, is that depth, right? I mean, and, and it's the depth is obvious because we haven't even had a chance to talk about all the players on the team. There's so many good guys. We haven't even mentioned the name Okara White, who I thought had a, a very nice summer league and a nice season last year. Also, uh, so he, he's another guy. I think who can come through this heat system and maybe be a, a quality player in time i think the other strength they have is just playing really hard and they, they play hard and especially and that goes with the depth too on a night-to-night basis they're generally going to play harder than their opponent even when they were uh, in the first half of the season 11 and 30 they were playing hard for all of those games it, yep. it's really incredible how hard they play um so i agree with you playing hard is definitely a strength and uh, you know depth also and one of the things that we didn't mention i mean maybe we did is, is defense i, I just yeah there are so many good defenders in this team i think even though we have a whoever it's going to be an undersized or under bulked if you want to say josh richardson is going to be that man um whoever the the, the small forward is going to be i think we can overcome that and still be a great defensive team because so many uh, very good defenders and they buy into the team concept and the team concept makes them even better yeah for uh for weaknesses you know you mentioned small forward i, I agree with you there just in terms of having like that one guy 
guy. Maybe that's Winslow in certain matchups they can get by with him. I think, I think small forward and power forward. Power forward. So small forward is the obvious weakness, right? I mean, they have yeah. one guy, and if he doesn't perform, and I, I really worry his shooting is not going to be able to make him playable, especially when he's playing alongside James Johnson, who's maybe not the best shooter. You can survive one, but you really can't survive two players who can't shoot and the type of offense that he'd try to run. Um, so obviously small forward is going to be an issue, but I think power forward could be an issue too if um, sort of JJ fades and Olenek doesn't perform maybe not as not nearly as big as an issue with small forward but they don't have the Luke Babbitt to fall back on anymore whose whose <laughs> whose defensive shortcomings are obvious but whose offensive um, capabilities really uh, open up the court so uh, yeah small forward is going to be the big issue power forward could be as well but <laughs> yeah, I think they'll be okay at power forward I think between James Johnson Winslow and then you could even play Olenek there in certain matchups as well I think they have enough guys who can match up with with any specific type of power forward uh, that that they're going to face um but that's i mean you, you're you've seen them more than i have but i i think they'll be okay there small forward again you know i think it's only really i mean offensively they're fine they got plenty of guys to play there it's just all right if they're going against the absolute best small forwards in the nba who have that size that's where i think it starts to become an issue yeah but the biggest weakness isn't even small forward power forward i think the biggest weakness is they they and maybe you'll disagree with me here is they just don't have an all-star they, yeah they, they don't have anybody to take them you know to the next level to to, to really to take over the game at any particular point in time they have a lot of players who can do that but they don't have anybody they can count on and i think any team that really wants uh you know playoff aspirations needs that guy i I hope i'm wrong of course but um that's one of the things they have it's amazing they went through the second half of that last season without a single all-star past or present anywhere on the roster and they still do what they did yeah so it can happen but they do have guys plenty of guys who think that they're all-stars so yeah Yeah. uh but and the other weakness i would point to is pick and roll defense at the center position we talked about Whiteside, Olenek as like he also against the best guys really just doesn't have the length doesn't play with the force uh that's really necessary at, at the center position when he's so, out there maybe bam out of could become that guy but he i don't think he's going to play that much this year so agree and disagree if they really needed to to fix that problem in a crunch because they have a, a matchup problem where that becomes an issue i think you know maybe this is asking a little bit too much but i think james johnson could be that guy at yeah played center he really did and and they've even they've even experimented in lineups with like winslow and johnson at the four and five they they did that in the orlando game didn't didn't work that well but i think it sounds like they're gonna try more of winslow as really a four and five i think he might get most of his minutes there i'm i'm really hoping winslow's you know a lot of people know about his shooting issues but what what people don't maybe don't realize is he's actually a pretty good playmaker i'm hoping they use him as a de de facto sort of point guard on offense on the second unit where he can slide to the three because Tyler Johnson can actually play um, point guard on defense um, and give him cover there. So I, I can see a second man unit w- which which features you know Winslow, Olenek, and Tyler Johnson being pretty good, especially since you have so many shooting guards who can actually shoot. Um, so you can slot another one of those there and, and create a good four man unit there. Yeah, Winslow, his shooting, the development that he showed there has been disappointing, but he has really developed his off the dribble game and his passing. I think like he had some really nice plays the other day where he was getting the guy on his back and pick and roll he's he's not a great finisher but i mean in terms of like where he was coming out of duke as a guy who can grab and go push the ball and transition and and, uh create a little bit in the pick and roll he has improved there all right let's uh let's get to it here predicted record i'm gonna start by doing this just so i can't be accused of piggybacking off of what you did uh they're over under in vegas at least when we did
did it about a month ago uh, on this podcast is 43 and a half oh, I, I really like this team i think they're going to get 47 wins i didn't know about vegas i i had i was struggling to decide whether i was at 45 and 37 or 46 and 36 i went with 45 and 37 to be conservative um so i'll go with 45 and 37 yeah i mean i this is this team i'm and maybe i'm just overreacting a little bit but just the amount of depth that they have i mean i think anyone other than dragic uh, and i think richardson can make up maybe for especially because he's healthy now i felt he never really was healthy last year after that mcl that's an injury that takes a while to come back from and really you know you can play but you're not really yourself for quite some time steph curry saw that too in the in the uh 2016 playoffs um there's a lot of guys that have had that um and so i think if waiters is injured you know they can weather that storm a little bit better than they did last year really Dragic is the only guy to me that i would be extremely worried about and he's been healthy for most of his career uh so and i think they're just they're gonna defend they're gonna play hard uh i, I think this is a, a team that really like is gonna surprise some people this season so i i like okay. 47 you, you have 45 anything you wanted to add to why you uh went with that number I, I i love this team i think they're constructed very well but i see a considerable amount of risk here um and, and so it got me a little bit more conservative with my my predicted record i guess as a realistic case i, I do i do see them doing uh, as a realistic best case i do then i do see them potentially doing a lot better than 45 wins i could see them 50 plus um but in terms of predicted record i, I think you know 45 feels not too good not it feels right to me i, I don't know but the, the risk to me you know if waiters goes down i, I think that is it, it is a lot more damaging than 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 maybe that what you you, you had discussed there I, I see him as a critical portion of the team if if power forward becomes an issue because um johnson's uh takes uh, regresses just a little bit and kelly olenic isn't isn't ready to step into that role luke babbitt could be a, a big loss there so and and three-point shooting <laughs> three-point shooting last year was what drove the team to its success if they can't match that level of three-point shooting then then you know they're, they're, that's that's a that that will have a dramatic impact on their ability to get wins um so i see uh i see a little bit more risk here but uh, you know i'm hopeful <laughs> yeah i mean this team a year ago uh expected one loss was 44 and 38 um they they were 41 41 but they were so unlucky oh. during that first part of the season right. that even with that crazy run at the end to get to 41 and 41 they underperformed their point differential so if you're starting at 44 and 38 i think they got better winslow is back now josh richardson is going to be better you know i think some of the guys we talked about regressing that could happen uh you know kelly Olynyk is i think way better than anyone they had uh, i think he's really going to help their offense off the bench a lot i think he's better than anyone they had uh at backup four or five last year um so i i think they got better and i you know i could see them easily getting you know three wins better than last year based on the additions that they had and some of the internal improvement so you said best case 50 wins i would go with i actually think they could even get up to 52 i mean they're the number five defense last year i think they could repeat that and i think they could be you know like the number 10 offense in the nba uh, and i think that could get you to 52 wins potentially I, I think more importantly than the number of wins um is how they can perform in the playoffs i i do think they can they can get out of the first round of the playoffs i think they can get into the second i'm not sure they can beat a sort of a cleveland or a boston um in, in a potential second round um but i do think they can advance past uh through the first round of the playoffs and i think that would be you know 
that would be a great season for the Heat this year. Yeah, I think they could be. I think they're going to be a top four seed. I think they're going to have a better re- record than Milwaukee, and I think they are going to. You know, they'll have a matchup if that is the four five matchup. I think I would probably, as of now, of course, favor them against the Bucks. Uh, but you know, Giannis would be a tough matchup for them. They don't necessarily. I mean, I guess they could put James Johnson on. They that would have to be the guy that they would use to guard him, and then and, and maybe Winslow would be it. But that would be a fascinating matchup, and a matchup between them and uh, Washington would also be a really interesting one if that came to pass first round right I, I, that's a team that i think they have the potential to be um in, in a first round I'm, I'm not saying that it will happen and neither am i saying it will happen with, versus milwaukee but i think they have the potential to be both which which is in, in sort of a, a better case scenario which is why i'm encouraged that this team could actually uh this year not only make the playoffs which i think is 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 a, a very realistic possibility beyond realistic i think they will i think they can also advance past the first round yeah and the tough thing for them in the playoffs is when other teams ramp up the minutes for their best guys their depth becomes a little bit less uh of a use you know, I, I think that you're just going to have guys having all those guys is great during the regular season but you know when john wall or Giannis is playing 42 minutes a game that maybe it becomes harder to deal with someone uh-huh. like that but so may, may, it's interesting to it'll be interesting to see whether is this team a better or worse playoff or, or regular season team i think you could construct arguments in both directions right i mean the counterpoint to that kind of argument would be regardless of of the other team's performance our defense is or the heat's defense is is very very good and the offense when it's clicking it's just got all the components to be very good they were very good in the second half last season and and more encouraging more encouraging than even their overall performance is when they're when when the lineup they'll probably be using saw the floor you know Dragic, waiters james johnson and Whiteside, that four-man unit second half of last season 127 offensive rating so i mean that's ridiculous of course they did it because they shot 50 one percent from three i don't know if that's <laughs> but 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 you could see you know come crunch time when they're playing their key guys those key guys if if, if the shooting is falling they have the potential to be very good offensively and we already know they're going to be very good defensively so i i think they have the potential to be maybe everybody except for a cleveland or a uh, or a boston yeah one other i mean now that we're thinking about the playoffs too i think one other weakness they might have is i think against some of the best teams which they really are not right like if you look at the eastern conference how many teams in the east project to be like really good defensively like i don't think really hardly any of them but going against some of the best teams if you have guys who can switch a lot then i think you can this team might be able to be shut down because they don't really have like that one guy who could just beat switches like waiters i don't expect him i mean he'll take shots against switches but you know is he really gonna hit contested long shots at at the same rate that he did last year Dragic, not the best against switches either so and Whiteside trying to post up as we've mentioned is, is a total disaster so that might be a weakness for these guys too but i don't think there's really teams in the east maybe boston might be it um but they you can you know you can still go at like a Kyrie irving uh but there aren't that many teams that can really deploy that type of a defense against this heat squad right um all right last thing worst case scenario what do you see it as worst case scenario would be you know they're not healthy and their shooting regresses uh substantially and i think that's probably 37 wins uh 37 and 45 something in that neighborhood maybe uh, i don't i i don't see it 
that when you when you weight them, I don't see that as potentially being you know weighted likely. But I think in a in a, in a worst case scenario, if if certain things don't don't break the Heat's way and, and health becomes a problem and shooting digresses, I think 37 wins could be realistic and, and missing the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a, although 37 wins, uh, you're probably even money to get into the playoffs in this year's Eastern Conference. Even then, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think the only way that I think they get into big trouble this year and is if Dragic gets hurt and we we have disagreed a little bit on on the importance of waiters but yeah I think uh 37 would be about where I would look as well but I, I think this team is a, a pretty darn good shot of making the playoffs especially because they're going to defend and they're going to play hard okay. every night um all right so let us know where we can follow uh, all your stuff and uh we'll get you out of here okay uh, on Twitter at Albert Namid and on uh on my website heathoops.com yeah and Albert especially during uh the free agent period an invaluable resource i mean you're basically reacting in nearly real time to all these signings and and giving updated cap situations you are all over the thing about the heat using the unlikely bonuses to basically get some free money to fit in all all those players so uh, albert if you're not following him already and you're interested at all in the cap uh and and you're interested at all in uh especially like the specific machinations following him heathoops.com definitely a place to go yeah that was a scary moment by the way <laughs> Everybody in Miami was printing. They don't have enough room for, um, for to, to, to keep Wayne Ellington. And I knew in my heart that was wrong, but I didn't know why. So I came to the unlikely bonuses concept, and uh, I was basically sweating out, sweating it out for a little bit until I figured that's that, that's what they had done. So yeah, do, do you have any idea what those bonuses actually are? Have I, you heard that? I do now. Um, I know what the bonuses are. Um, so uh, Dion Waiters has a bonus for playing one point one million dollar bonus for playing seven. The games. Um, Kelly Olenek has bonus for playing 1,700 minutes. So that's, I don't know, 21. If he plays all 82 games, about 21 minutes a game, but probably more like 23, 24 uh, if he doesn't. Um, and James Johnson's bonus you know it's a technical salary cap rule but it had to be a likely bonus so when it when it had to be a likely bonus i i, I knew instantly what that would be it's and I don't, I don't have the specifics on it but it's something about his body fat um but th- that bonus is only about two hundred twenty thousand dollars. the others are one and 1.5 million respectively so um yeah those are the three bonuses yeah i would also, and, mention, I would also mention by the way kelly olenek has a five percent trade kicker yeah i think i actually had heard that as well that's a five percent trade kicker it's uh it's almost almost like why have it at that point but you know that's that's what it takes to, to get him to sign um yeah all right man well thanks this is great we really appreciate you coming on and uh looking forward to following you throughout the season uh we'll be back with more later on this week finishing up our team preview still got the warriors Knicks, a uh, few other interesting ones and we will talk to y'all then